Praise the Lord. That was some of the best singing I've heard tonight. Thank you for how you worship. What we don't need in church is more spectators. What we do need is more folks that will say, I have come to worship. Raise your hand if you've come to worship tonight. I tell you what, if that's the case, then it's easy to have church. Uh, it's easy to leave and say, I've been to church. But I'm telling you what, it is difficult when, um, to come to church and, and uh, you know, uh, I know the pastors will know about this a little bit. You have some folks, they'll come and just say, bless me if you can, you know, give it a better shot. And I'm just so thankful. That's not this crowd. I, uh, I used to come to camp and go home and I would tell my church, I say, church, you've never seen teenagers worship like they do at the Upper Cumberland Youth Camp. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, it's a special group of kids. You ought to be thankful for them. You ought to encourage them. You ought to, you ought to say, hey, go find five more like yourself. That's how good those kids are. I am thankful for them. If you have your Bible tonight, uh, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. <clears throat> and in a world in which everything is hyped up so much, everything is to be taken so seriously Except the things that are serious. Do you know what I mean? I heard a, a politician criticizing the president today because he wasn't taking this coronavirus thing seriously enough. And I'm sure he's taking it very seriously. And I'm taking it very seriously. I'm washing my hands and, you know, doing the stuff that I think I ought to do. But I'm not going to go nuts over it. I mean, I've had the flu. I get it. And I think it's probably a very serious flu, but I'm not going to not leave the house. You know what I mean? And they're talking about it like it's the worst thing ever in the world. How many of you know there are things more serious than getting sick? How many of you know there's more serious things than dying? Yes? This, in the passage that I'm going to read to you tonight, the Lord speaks here and he says that the great sin of the people where there were things that they made light of and they did not take seriously that they ought to have taken seriously. And I think that the Word of God is something that we ought to take very seriously and to hold in the highest regard. And literally, when you put the word of the Lord there, everything else just takes a back seat in terms of seriousness and in terms of priority. Let's read our scripture here tonight together, Matthew 22. If you wouldn't mind, would you stand again for the reading of the word of the Lord? You'll go home blessed or you'll go home tired, one of the two. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus answered and spake again unto them by parable and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants saying, I tell them which are bidden. Again, behold, I have prepared a dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But listen to verse 5. But they made what? They made light of it and went their way, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took their servants and, enter, and treated them spitefully and slew them. Some just uh, weren't interested and some were vicious. Some were very against the message of the invitation. When the king heard thereof, he was wroth and sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their cities. And then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Imagine that. 
They weren't worthy because they would not receive the invitation. Go ye therefore unto the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid them to the marriage. So those servants went out unto the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. I believe we've got a good mix of both of those here tonight, the bad and the good. Praise the Lord. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw, he was very glad to see all of them there, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Now here's a hard scripture. and This is hard. And saith unto him, Friend, how comest thou in hither, and having not having a wedding garment, and not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And verse 14 says, For many are called, but few are chosen. This will be our text for this evening. Would you pray with me? Father, we sang earlier how we need you. We need you every hour. We need you for every breath. We need you for every beat of our heart. And so, Lord, we bid you to come among us. We sense your presence in this place. This church is full of the Spirit of the Lord, and I pray that we would lay ourselves open and bare, and that everyone from young to old tonight would say, Lord, have your way in my life. Speak what you want to speak to me. Say what you want to say. Nothing is off limits, Lord. Do your work in us tonight, I pray it. I pray, Lord, that as you speak, that we would take your words seriously and not lightly. In Jesus' high and holy name we pray. And the church says, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for honoring God's word. Here is an incredibly hard scripture that we find tonight. It was a parable that the Lord spoke to them. He says it as dressed as so there in verse 1 that it was a parable. And we know a parable is a, an earthly story that we can understand with a heavenly meaning that we need to understand. And here the Lord speaks to them. Now I want you to be keeping in mind the audience to which he's speaking. This is not all church folks. The Bible says that when Jesus went out preaching and doing very much miracles, that folks followed him everywhere. And this is late in his ministry. Here is the final week of his life before being crucified. Just in the previous chapter, we have the triumphal entry as he come into, into Jerusalem, riding there on that colt. And they bowed down and they threw palm branches in the road and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the crowd wouldn't leave and they were in, mesmerized and he was gracious to them. And as he preached, they listened and some were spiteful and some were saved. And in this group of people, there are Scribes and Pharisees, members of the Sanhedrin court, who listen to me when I tell you this, they hated Jesus. He was an incredible threat to the power that they had because whatever they said went. And here he is claiming to be God, claiming to be able to forgive sin. And that was something that you had to pay big money for in that day. Did you know that? Come to the temple, buy this goat, buy this lamb. Oh, by the way, the price has just gone up. This is how the Sanhedrin court operated. And here Christ says, I'll just forgive you here and now. 
and I'll give you your new legs, and you can just walk. You've never walked before. This is who Jesus was. They hated him for it. Can you imagine how they hated him? They are there listening to him preach. There are those also who have come who were desperate, <laughs> and, and like the woman caught in the act of adultery. You know the story? She's brought and thrown at his feet and about to be stoned, and he's the one who stooped down and wrote in the dirt. And basically he just said, those of you that are without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, the Pharisees, they left, and they were put to shame. And I guarantee you, that little girl didn't go far. She was there, and she was one of the, one of the uh, female disciples who followed the Lord. And there was another one who came and broke uh, precious ointment over his feet and, because she too had been forgiven, and she was enamored by such amazing love that she'd been shown by Jesus. And the whole crowd, and there in the middle somewhere, you had all the disciples, some that would stay and some that would go, some that would be faithful. There were some good church members, and there were some crummy church members, and there was everybody in between. And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. Here's the gospel for you. And the gospel message is this, that God has sent us his love to pay the price that we could not pay. To make a place for us in his home that we could not make. And one day he will come again and give us the ride of a lifetime and take us home with him. And he says that the kingdom of heaven is like this. He says there's a king, and the king has a son who's going to be married. I don't know about you, but I think we might just arrange that right here and now, Jacob, this one right here. Miss Millie and Ricky. I don't, they were holding hands, and I don't, you don't hold hands in church unless it's serious. In my book. You're not going to listen. Okay. That's okay. They're not listening either. So. He said there's a king and he has a son and he's going to prepare a marriage. And If you're listening with spiritual ears and if, you, if you've ever read any of the book of Revelation, you begin to see, oh yes, there is a marriage supper of the Lamb. There is a, a banquet feast when, when we, the church, the bride of Christ, will be caught up into heaven and we will be united with our groom. And Jesus told another parable about how the, the bridegroom was coming and, and the virgins were to keep their lamps trimmed and in preparation for his coming and in waiting for his coming. And as we read this week and say, oh yes, I see what he's saying here. I, I know what he's talking about here. This is glorious scripture. And all, some of them have no clue what he's talking about. And he says that he sent out his messengers after having prepared the feast. He sent an invitation after invitation. And if you would look there into verse 4, look in verse 3 rather, he sent forth his servants to call them that were what? They were bidden. Folks that had been invited They'd been invited, and the, the scripture here, there in verse 4, again he sent forth his servants, saying, Behold, tell them which were bidden. There were many invitations given, and they weren't taken seriously. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. For folks to have received the invitation and to think to themselves, I don't need to pay attention. I don't need to go. I'm, I'm not interested in that. I, I'm not interested in, in, in that or that church or those people or, or that sermon or that preacher. I'm just not interested in all of that. Is there a greater tragedy in all of the world than to say, there's disaster coming your way. Take shelter. And for folks to say, nah, it'll blow over. My friends, the day is coming it will not blow over. 
when the tidal wave of God's wrath will be loosed from heaven and he will indeed punish every sin that's ever been committed on the face of this planet and into hell he will cast everyone who has never put faith in him. Whether they've heard, whether they've not heard, many of them will have been in church on stage singing and reading and preaching and they will say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, but I never knew you. You never came to know me. Never took it seriously. The invitation was given. You were bidden and you did not come. And this is what the Bible calls a fool. The Bible says in Proverbs 14:9, it says, The fool makes a mock of sin, but among the righteous there is favor. The fool says, There's more time, and I'm young, and there's there's other options, and you know, maybe the Christian way is not the only way. And you've heard all of that. And this is what the fool will say. The fool will rationalize in his mind what he thinks that God ought to be like. Do you know anybody like that? Let me tell you something. We do not get to make God in our image. We take him as the Bible gives him or you do not have him at all. People say, well, I just don't understand how that God could, could punish folks and send folks to hell. I mean, I just, I mean, I could never do that. But here's a newsflash. You ain't God. In fact, you ain't even right. You're sinful. You're wretched and you're wicked and you have no sense of right and wrong at all. Not even holy. Not even pure. We're tainted and we're perverted in our very core. And so if we come to a text like this and we say, wailing and gnashing of teeth and he binds them and throws them into ever, how could that be? That's the wrong question, my friends. The question is not, how could God punish sin? The question is this. Are you guys ready? Here's the real question. Go to school and tell your friends this, because I know this is where you live. The question is not, how could God send folks to hell? The question is, how could God know what I would be like today in my perverted heart, and he let me sleep through the night and wake up this morning knowing that my heart and my pride would blaspheme in his face today? How could God allow that? That's what I want to know. How could God allow me to live in any kind of favor whatsoever, much less prepare for me a place in heaven? That's the real question. Not how could God be mean. The question is how could God be nice? First thing that is taken lightly in the text is the working of God's spirit. You'll notice that the spirit of God here is is likened to these messengers that go and, and they stand at the door and they knock. And it is this, uh, this still small voice that speaks and calls and, and draws. And you know what it is. If you are a born-again believer, you, you know what it is. Maybe you know what it is if you're not a born-again believer. You know what it is to be here and to sing those songs. And you know that feeling you get. You know that feeling you get. How many, how many white knuckles have gripped these pews at the time of invitation and, and, have, and have determined not to go forward and not to make things right with God? Just give it a minute. It'll all be over in just a little while. He'll quit preaching. They'll quit singing. We'll go to Denny's after this. Do you have Denny's here? No. It's a diner. It's not even a very good one. I don't even know why I chose it. But they are 24 hours, and so they're always open after church. And how many have made light of the moving of God's Spirit? And, and how many would, would love and long to feel the presence of God one more time? Do you know that God comes as a gentleman into our lives and, and he sends his invitation for us to come? 
<laughs> he, he, so gently, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will enter in and I will sup with him and he with me. And we'll have this wonderful communion together. And how many have rejected the voice of the Lord for so long and the Lord just stops bidding? How many would say, oh, if God would speak to me one more time? You see, because here's the preciousness of the work of the Spirit is that it, it does not come on our timetable. As the pastor said so appropriately tonight, please do not quench the Spirit of God. If God moves, you obey. Do not disobey. Do not disobey. He is a gentleman. I wish that he were not so gentle. I wish like that he would kick in the door of my heart once in a while. Just kick it and say, this is what we need to do here today. Here's how it's going to be. But he's not. He's gentle. He's kind. He'll say, oh, you're busy? I'll come back. Or maybe I won't. But you just do what you think is important today. And you see that they despise these messengers. The work of the Spirit was taken lightly. Look at number two. Look there in verse number five. Point number two, you see what else is taken lightly is sin and the wickedness of it, it said, but they made light of it. And they went their way, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. And, and they had good reasons. They had things that they needed to be doing, nothing more important than making things right with God. And look at verse 6, and a remnant took that servant and entreated him spitefully and slew him. Some were wrathful against the messenger. And he was there to say, Hear, thus saith the word of the Lord. Can I tell you something, church? Your preacher, I just met him this week. I just met him, I think, personally this week. And I know he's probably not a perfect person. He is God's gift right now to this church. You be good to him. You bless him. You encourage him. He's going to do, I think, I really, I honestly really believe he's going to do what the Bible says. And as long as he's in accordance with this word, you get behind him and encourage him. Because he's... He's going to be on your side as long as he's against wickedness and sin. You bless him. You help him. I think about Brother Kerry Higgins over here. This is a great man and some folks from his church and some folks from Sparta. And, and you have great pastors. If your pastors are doing right, bless that man and help him. Amen. But those, they, they saw the wickedness of their sin and they were upset when someone pointed it out to them. They were upset when someone said, this cannot be. This is what Jesus said. He said, they hated me and they'll hate you. They don't hate you because they hate you. They hate you because they hate him. They hate you because you're on his team, because you're his child, because you're on his side. I don't know what it is, kids, but if you'll take one of these to school, you will lose friends. And listen, good riddance, okay? This is the only friend you'll need, I'm telling you right now is to walk with God and to, and, to, and to hold close to his word. And if this is going to be the deciding factor, those are not friends at all anyways. But here, the righteous man comes, and there are some who will turn you off, and they'll say, you know, I just got other things. And there are some who will be upset, and they will be furious. Because sin is a slave master. And when you come speaking truth, when someone says to you, what do you think about same-sex marriage? If you say what the Bible says... They'll be upset. They'll be, they'll be upset. <laughs> and I'm saying, look, I did, I did not write this. But thus saith the word of the Lord. And like Martin Luther, here I stand, I can do no other. 
Bible says that we are all tempted with sin. And so when the preacher speaks against sin, don't be offended. He got sin too. He's working on his sin. We're all tempted. The Bible says in James chapter 1, it says, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Here he is preaching to you, inviting you, calling you away from what is dangerous out of love. Out of love. I mean, how much would you have to hate your people to not tell them what the Bible says? How would you have to hate your friends to not tell them that hell is a reality and it is coming? Wouldn't it be the most loving thing in the world if you knew that the train bridge was out? Wouldn't you stand there on the tracks and wave a lantern? Wouldn't you wave a flashlight and say, stop, the train bridge is out. You can't go this far. You will die. It would be the most loving thing you could have done to stop that train from going where it was going. But here these folks are confronted with their sin and they are invited to come and to come, not only to come, but to come clean. <laughs> it's the most marvelous place in the world to be in the church. And we at our church, I tell folks, I say, we are a come-as-you-are kind of church. Come just as you are. We've got guys that show up in coveralls. They've got coveralls over their coveralls. they got Sunday coveralls, clean coveralls, because the other coveralls, you can't sit in the pew without getting it dirty. I say, buddy, you just come. Just come. Please just come. But when you get here, repent of your sins. Isn't that marvelous that Jesus loves us just the way we are, takes us just the way we are, and loves us so much he refuses to leave us just the way we are? Aren't you great? I'm just, I mean, think about this invitation that these people were given to come to this wedding, to come and enjoy. There will be free food and there will be entertainment and come and celebrate and enjoy and be clothed. You see, first century Judaism, in the wedding ceremony, everybody that came got a wedding garment. you imagine that? That would be an expensive wedding, brother. I'm just all of a sudden realizing I'm glad we don't got a daughter to pay for no wedding. That's marvelous. But can you imagine having to buy everybody a suit of clothes or a dress when they come to the wedding? And here it was, come. But you can't wear what you want to wear. You got to wear, you got to wear the wedding attire. I'm telling you, come, 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 come just as you are, but you can't stay the way you are. You can't stay dressed the way you are. You've got to take off, the Bible says. And put on, the Bible says, take off the old man and to put on the new. And it is something, listen to me, that cannot be taken lightly. It cannot, we cannot afford to take it lightly. We can't afford to take the work of the Spirit lightly in this room right now or the wickedness of our sin lightly right now and just say, well, this is just that sin that's been with me for such a long time and there's really not any victory that I've had over it and so I guess it's just going to be a part of my life from now on and so I'm just going to stop repenting of it because you know that roller coaster where you repent and then you sin and then you repent and then you sin and then you're, is it just me or is you riding that roller coaster too? Keep riding that roller coaster. Don't get off. Don't stop and say, well, I guess I'm just going to be there. No, continue to repent of your sins. Your sin is the main thing that cannot afford to be taken lightly. And this they did not want to hear, and they, and they would not hear because they chose their sin. They loved their sin. They, they loved their merchandise. They loved their farm or, or whatever it was. But they, I mean, the one of they, they took out the man and they killed him there because they took the message lightly. They took their sin lightly. 
And the reason the message is so strong, the reason that I want to just come here and set myself on fire to, 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 to plead with you and, and to encourage you to, put, to cast your mind on the things of the Lord so that you don't think about the things of the world and to give yourself to God and to, and to take seriously the message of the gospel is because, listen to me, you are worth so much. Look at one of the last things to, to be taken so lightly there in verse 4 is the worth of the soul. The worth of the soul is so valuable and yet taken so lightly. Again, he sent from other servants, saying, Tell them which were bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My ox and my fatlings are killed, and all the things are ready. Everything had been prepared, and everything had been paid for. And can I tell you this? When it comes to your soul, everything has been prepared, and everything has been paid for, and, and it's all the preparations have been made. And this is how we know how valuable that life is, and humans are, people are. People are the most important thing. Did you know that? I mean, of all the great creation that our Lord made, he died for people. People are the most important thing. And yeah, I'm just going to run a rabbit trail here just for a second. But in this church, there's going to be a lot of different ideas and things that we could do and should do and things that we should not do. But as we decide what we should and should not do, remember to be kind one to another. Because people are more important than policy. People are more important than, I've heard, I've heard of so many churches that they, they, they have a mind to build and there's a great spirit and a great moving and great enthusiasm. They build a new church and, and it comes time to put carpet in the church and they, they get upset at the meeting about the pattern or the color and the church splits. It's, this is so much more important than that. Or like some earth-shaking, really important thing like the wallpaper in a nursery. Honey, what do you want to paint the nursery? Great, wonderful. Whatever you want to do, honey. I don't care, right? My goal is the harmony and the unity of my family and of my church. I, everything else is just going to be details. The value that the Lord places on these people to send his servant not only once, but he sends them again and again and again. And isn't that what Jesus said to the people of Jerusalem? He said, how you have despised my servants. And they did, it to, they did it to Jonah and to Micah and to Jeremiah and to Isaiah and to all of the prophets and, 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 and Habakkuk and Zechariah and Malachi and all the way down the line. And the people heard the word of the Lord and refused the word of the Lord. And God kept sending them. Jesus said, and you've slain the prophets. Why does God continue? Because people are important. And they'll go to hell without Jesus. I tell you what, if you just look in the word of the Lord, you'll see how seriously the Lord takes you and me. How seriously he takes people. Did you know that life is the most important thing? And you're going to never meet a more pro-life preacher in your entire life. I remember the first day we got the ultrasound pictures um, of little Ricky here. And we've got another little one on the way. The very first picture we ever had of you was a little black and white and, and, and still in mommy's tummy. And I'm telling you what, they printed that thing off and I just looked at that thing like in absolute amazement and tears came down my face and I got on Facebook, took a picture of that thing. I said, I have never been more pro-life if ever in my life except right now. I saw the beauty and the value of this miracle of life and said, Christ has died for this one and Christ has died. I, I love this one. I, there's some kids I don't even like and Christ died for them too. I believe I believe. I preach like I preach like he did. And here 
I mean, you see it all throughout the scriptures in, 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 in Luke chapter 15 when, when Jesus said there was, a, there was a shepherd who had 100 sheep and he lost one. And if you want to do the math with me, if you have 100 and lose one, what do you got? 99. That's right. Good job. Good job. Public school system. Good job, guys. The Bible says that he cared so much for that one that he left the 90 and 9 locked up in the pen and he, he took off at night and he went out with a, with a staff and a lantern and found that, that lamb. And when he found it, he wasn't even upset. Like, I'd have been like, get your carcass back in the corral. Jesus picks up this lamb and puts him on his shoulders and, and, and goes back and he goes to his neighbors and says, rejoice with me for the one that was lost is now is found. If you don't think that people are the most important thing to Jesus, just read your Bible. You'll see that this worth of the soul is not to be taken lightly. Now read in Romans chapter 8, the Bible says that he that gave us everything, he spared not his own son, how much more will he with him give us all things? God loves you tonight and your soul is worth so much tonight. And so what I want to say is that sin in your life, it has to go. It has to go. It cannot be taken lightly. Your soul is worth far too much for you to take your sin life lightly and not seriously. Here's, how, here's what the Lord says to me, John, it has to go. He is kind and he is merciful, but he'll not be made a fool of. He'll not be made a fool of. He will be obeyed. He will not be mocked. Would you look again with me lastly in verse 11, and I'm trying to hurry here. The Bible says that when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there was a man which had not on a wedding garment, and saith unto him, Friend, how comest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? He's, just a, he's shocked that the man would, would dare to come in his own clothes. And it's to this king... This sentence there in verse, in verse 12, it is, it is he is dismayed. He is blown away. Look at the very last word there. He, he was speechless. The king was speechless. How dare you? It was appalling that this man would come and refuse the garment that was offered him at the door. He doesn't even have any further conversation. Then said the king to his servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away. Cast him into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here the Lord Jesus is telling us the last thing that we cannot afford to take lightly is the way in which he has bidden us to come. We do not get to make up our own way to Jesus. We don't get to earn it. We don't get to buy it. We don't get to write a check every week and put it in the plate, and, and somehow that's going to make up for this continual habitual pattern of sin. We can come and come only one way. There's only one way to come, and it's, it's this. When God calls, we can come. Jesus said very clearly, he said, no man comes unto the Father but by me. The way in which Christ has invited us to come is the only way there is to come. There's not a second way, and the old must be taken off, and his righteousness applied. And it takes humility it takes humility, and a lot of folks don't like this about the gospel, is that you have to let Christ serve you. I think a lot of you here tonight will say, I want to serve the Lord. I want to do something for Jesus, and that's wonderful, and then we ought to. But you cannot until Christ serves you, until you kneel and say, Lord, give me what you have to, I have nothing to offer you.
When Jesus, at the end of this week, just in past this scripture, you can read on and see that in the Last Supper in the upper room there in Mark's house, Jesus fed the, the, he broke bread and they gave the Last Supper to his disciples, the bread and the wine, and he said, this is my body and this is my blood. And, and then he girded him his waist with a towel and he, he knelt down on the floor and, and he began to wash his disciples' feet and they thought it was so strange and they pulled their feet back and even Peter especially said, no, Lord, not my feet. This is not a job for you. This is a job for a servant. This is uh, my, my, not, not my feet. And what did Jesus say? Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, Peter, if I don't wash you, you ain't getting washed. And Peter said, okay, good, then, then, then wash, my, wash me head to toe. He goes, no, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to serve you so that you remember that I'm the one who saves you. I'm the one who cleans you. I'm the one who makes you okay, not you. This is the way that we come to Christ in humility and submission and, 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 and just giving everything that we have, which, by the way, it's nothing. We have nothing to offer God. Can I tell you something is that he has everything to offer us. There was a little girl, there was a little girl about Millie Kate's age. Millie, are you four? She's four. You're four. And Ricky's five, just so you know. And every night before bedtime, her daddy would come in and tuck her into bed. And just as sweet as can be, just like this one here. And she had this costume jewelry that she loved so much. She loved it so much. She loved to be a little girl. She loved dress up. She loved princess. She loved pink. She loved, she just was a little girl. And she was daddy's little girl. And so he came in to tuck her into bed and they said their prayers and, and he tucked her in tight and he said, honey, do you love daddy? And she said, yes, I do. And he said, do you know that daddy loves you? He said, yes, daddy, I do. He said, do you love daddy enough to give me your pearl necklace? She said, oh, Daddy, you know, I do love you, but I just, Mommy gave me this, and I love this piece, and I know, honey, that's okay. I'm just teasing you. I'm just joking. You, you have, that's your necklace. She'd never take that necklace off. The next night, he came into her bedroom and, and prayed with her at the side of the bed and tucked her into bed, and he says, honey, do you know Daddy loves you? And she said, yes, Daddy, I know. And he said, do you love Daddy? She said, yes, Daddy, I do. And she immediately grabbed those pearls and he said, honey, do you love daddy enough to let me have your pearls? Just worthless costume jewelry pearls. And she said, no, daddy, I, you know I just love these pearls. And mommy gave me these pearls and I just I wear them everywhere. And she wear them in the bath and she wear them to school. And she wear them just everywhere. That She loved those pearls. He said, I understand, I understand. The next night he comes into her room and prays with her on the side of the bed and puts her in and tucks her in and, and, and he, he says, honey, do you, do you know that daddy loves you? And she rolled over and she began to cry and he said, yes, daddy, I know you. And he began to cry and she knew it was coming and he knew it was coming and she said, uh, he said, daddy, or he said to his little girl, he said, honey, do, do you love daddy? And she said, I do love you, daddy. And he said, do you love me enough to Give me your pearls. Daddy, would love to have those pearls. And she just took those pearls off of her so quickly. And she said, I'm so sorry, Daddy, for holding these from you. You can have my pearls. You can have everything. You can have my pink unicorn. You can have my Barbies. You can have anything you want to have from me. And he, he took those pearls and he put them in his pocket. And he pulled out from his back pocket a little blue velvet box. 
that he'd had in his pocket every night that week. And he opened it up and showed her those real, real expensive pearls. And pearls beautiful like she'd never seen before. And this is just the way that the Lord is with us. If we will come the way that he has bidden us to come and give what he has asked us to give from us to him, which, by the way, is very little, he will give what we could never have imagined. The Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of man what God has in store for us in heaven. My friends, I'm sure most of you are born-again believers, but I want to come here and tell you, I prayed and I didn't know what to preach tonight, but the Lord just told them, said, go tell them to take me seriously. Take God's Word seriously. Take your preacher seriously. Take your church seriously. Take the command of God seriously. Take the gospel seriously. Do not make it into your own image, but make yourself into the image of the gospel. And God will bless you. God will help you. I think somebody needs to come tonight and pray. Let's do that now. Would you come? Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would bless. Father, I've tried to be obedient to your word, and I've just done the best that I know how to do. Father, the best that I know how to do is just to take you seriously. So, Father, we yield, and we ask that you to have your way. Father, would you bless and you know the hearts and the minds and the needs of these, your people. God, I, I, I can't give them anything, but Lord, you can give them everything. I think of those here tonight who are, who are burdened down with such grief in the loss of loved ones. And Lord, and it's a kind of loneliness like they've never known before. And, and they're so hurt. Father, I pray that you would help them in your own miraculous way. Give them, Father, what I cannot Father, as they surrender themselves to you, and Lord, if they come and say to you, Lord, tonight, we want to take you seriously, Lord. We want to let you know that you're the, you're the one and the only. You're the be all and the end all for us, Lord. And that you're the, you're the most important thing in our life. God, would you in turn give them pearls, the likes of which they have never known. Give them beauty, Lord, for ashes. Lord, would you bless in Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand as we have a time of altar call?